the family Christmas party. Don't miss it. And don't miss the opportunity to invite a neighbor, a friend, a family member into the fun. This is a great thing uh, to invite the community into, to bless them and to be able to share the love of Jesus with them as well. So we'd love to see you there. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Jason. I get the opportunity to serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Friendship Church. Uh, I spend more of my time over at the Shakopee campus, but it always kind of feels like a second home when I come here. It's been great to visit with some of you this morning already, uh, and can't wait to see more of you after the service as well, so come and say hi afterwards. Um, enough about me. There's actually something special this weekend, Veterans Day, and we just want to take a moment this morning to honor, uh, honor veterans. And so if, if you are a veteran, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand up just for a moment and so that we can uh, honor you in that way. Um, thank you all for your service. And we are especially thankful that your service is a uh, a model of what it means to follow Jesus, to uh, sacrifice and, and lay down the interests of ourselves for the sake of the other. And when we follow Jesus, we sacrifice and we lay down ourselves for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the other. So thank you for modeling that for us and thank you for your service. We are continuing our series this morning on the Holy Spirit, God in us. We're going to be diving into Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can situate yourself over in Galatians chapter 5 as we talk about what the Holy Spirit produces in us. So far we've learned a few different things about the Holy Spirit. We've learned that he is a person, uh, not just a force, but literally the third person of the Godhead. And we have learned some of the things that the Holy Spirit does uh, the ways that he points us to Jesus, the way that he creates the way for salvation uh, and illuminates our hearts to see the need for that. He illuminates our eyes as we encounter scripture. And so this morning, we're going to continue on what the Holy Spirit does by focusing in on what he produces in the believer, what he produces in us. And so we're going to be in Galatians 5, like I mentioned. I'm going to invite you to stand up and instead of following along in your Bible or on your device, Leave that on your chair, and I'm going to invite you to stand now and close your eyes and hear the word of the Lord read over you. Maybe a different experience than what we're used to having, but uh, it's a good thing to simply hear and take in what God has for us. This is Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. The Apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us insight and wisdom as we seek to understand your word. We pray that you would use your word to form us into the image of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, bear your fruit in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We're going to dive into that passage that we just read, but right before we do that, uh, I want to give you a little history lesson. I feel like the last time I was up here, I'm not a history buff, okay, but this just fits really well and it will help us think about the Holy Spirit, I I think. In ancient Rome, uh, ancient Rome had one of the greatest militaries of the time, maybe of, of history, and one of the greatest class of warriors existed there, the legionaries. They were so good that many other civilizations tried to copy the Roman legionaries. You know what they called them? Imitation legionaries. Yes, you got it. Interestingly, these imitation legionaries were never quite as good or just the same. Now you would think, hey, we see what they're doing. Maybe you get a disgruntled Roman legionary and say, hey, teach us how to be legionaries. And and you'd have a a force of legionaries. Well, Well, no, it turns out. Um, that a synthetic imitation cannot be as good as the original. Why? Roman civilization had decades, centuries of culture that created the type of person that would be a Roman legionary. And so when you simply tried to mimic it, it wasn't the same. It wasn't as good. And you can see this with other things like samurai or other classes of warriors like that throughout the ages. It just never was the same. There were things in Roman culture that undergirded the external actions. How they conducted themselves and the quality of the combat was the fruit of the culture that they were rooted in. They were not a synthetic imitation of a desired quality. That's how we frame our discussion of the fruit of the Spirit. When we look at what the Spirit does in us, it's easy for me to, to think, oh, look, there are Galatians 5, there are nine qualities here of the fruit of the Spirit. This is a great starting point. This is a great checklist. How am I doing with love? How am I doing with joy? And how can I make myself do better in those things, right? How do I become an imitation Christ follower? Let me work on these qualities. But the whole point of the book of Galatians up to this point is Paul reminding the churches in Galatia that we've been set free from a kingdom that produces all sorts of darkness in us. That, that God has plucked us out of that. If we have put our faith in Jesus and he has put us into the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of light, and it produces all sorts of light in us. And the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out so that we are not merely imitation Christ followers. But now we've been plucked and put into a culture like the Roman culture 
uh, with the Holy Spirit working in us, that will create this fruit in us. It's not something simply to imitate. It's something that God will work into our hearts if we allow him to. We're not imitation Christ followers that mimic the externals. Instead, we are rooted in Christ Jesus. We abide in Christ Jesus, and because of that, we bear spiritual fruit, or the fruit of the Spirit. So that's where we start this morning. Rooted, abiding faith in Jesus will produce spiritual fruit. Not more willpower, not trying harder, not I got to be a better person, not taking this fruit as a checklist. Rooted, abiding faith in Jesus will produce spiritual fruit. And so as we go through this passage in Galatians 5 today, first we'll talk about what the fruit of the Spirit is. Then we'll talk about what the fruit of the Spirit is. I didn't misspeak there. We're talking what on two different levels, okay? What the fruit of the Spirit is, the nature of the fruit, what the fruit of the Spirit is, uh, the manifestation of the fruit. And then finally, okay, well, how do I foster that in my life? If it's not about willpower, then what is it about to foster that fruit in my life? Make sense? At least as much sense as it can at this point. Rooted, abiding faith in Jesus will produce spiritual fruit. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? What's the nature of the fruit? I don't like to define things by saying it's not this or it's not that, but I'm, I'm doing it anyway, so get over it. <laughs> I'm saying that to myself, not to you. It's not a checklist. Again, this, this is something that we may uh, be tempted to do, is approach this list, these nine qualities, as a checklist. How am I doing with love? How am I doing with joy? How am I doing with patience? When is this going to end? I guess I'm not doing really well with patience. Right at the end of verse 23, Paul says, if you, you can look there, he says, of the fruit of the Spirit, against such things there is no law. Now, he's not saying uh, the obvious, which all of the vices in verses 19 to 21 are unlawful, but all the fruit in 22 to 23 is lawful. Why is he not saying that? He spent the first four chapters telling the Galatians, you're free from the law. He wouldn't be saying, here's a new law for you to adhere to. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying with that is uh, it's parallel to actually a phrase that Aristotle used. He used the same exact phrase, against such things there is no law, when he was talking about a man, uh, he was talking about politics, he's talking about a man who didn't need legislation to be moral because this man was so virtuously perfect that he was outside of the law. He was a law unto himself. That's what Paul is saying of the spirit. He he, he, the Spirit does not submit to some law outside of himself. The Spirit is God. God does not submit to some higher law. God is the law. So against, against such things, the fruit that the Spirit bears, we are not, we're not in the realm of legislation. When we talk about what the Spirit bears in us, we're in the realm of transformation. Remember, Paul has just pointed out, if we're in the, if we're in the realm of legislation, look at verses 19 through 21, 19 through 21, nailed it. Verses 19 through 21, that's the realm of legislation. And with our sinful human hearts, we fail. We fall into these sins, these fruit of the works of the flesh. 
If we believed in Christ Jesus, we've been plucked out and placed into the realm where we can be transformed by he who is alive, the one who is a law unto himself. God calls us to this high standard, but he knows that, that we can achieve this high standard not by our own willpower, but by the Holy Spirit who will transform us into these things and bear this fruit in our lives. It's not a checklist. That, that goes contrary to everything that the book of Galatians is about. It, Paul's not giving us a new law. He's reminding us of what's true of us when we put our faith in Jesus and what fruit we can expect to be born in our lives as we seek to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Similarly, it is not a moral code. So it's not a checklist that we come to to say, yep, check, 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 got it, got it, got it, doing that one great. It's also not a code of conduct. It's not something that you adhere to and that makes you a Christian, right? We're not talking about imitation Christians or imitation legionaries. We're talking about a culture and something happening within our hearts, within our churches that creates uh, a, a place where this fruit is born. It's not a moral code. It is the natural or perhaps more, more precise, the supernatural result of God's grace received through faith. If we flip back a little bit to Galatians 3, Galatians 3, 5, Paul asks a rhetorical question to the church. If, he asks them, has God given you the Holy Spirit because of the works of the law that you've done? Have you earned it? Is it a checklist or did he give you the Holy Spirit because of your faith, like the father of faith, Abraham? Obviously, we know the answer to that, hopefully, because of faith. The Spirit was given as a gift through faith. The fruit of the Spirit is what happens when we receive God's word and respond in obedience. It's just, it's just what, in, in the same way that a Roman legionary is what happens when you grow up in a particular culture, the fruit of the Spirit is what happens when you've put your faith in Jesus and you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's the type of people that that kingdom creates. It's the type of people that the Spirit works out to create. Just like the Roman legionaries became who they are because of decades of growing up in their culture, with the Spirit alive in the believer, we bear this fruit through days and days and weeks and decades of abiding in Christ Jesus and laying hold of what's true of us, that we've been plucked out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. Are you living like you've been placed in the kingdom of light or are you still trying to submit to the law and make this a checklist or are you still trying to willpower your way into being the right person or are you living in freedom that you've got because you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've received the gift of obedience, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit who wants to work this fruit into your heart day by day by day. The fruit of the Spirit is the supernatural result of God's grace received through faith. It is also summed up as looking more and more like Jesus in our heart, intent, 
motives, and actions. It's not a checklist. It's not a moral code. So the list is not exhaustive. It points us to, to what Christ embodied and who Christ is. Well, go, go figure. The Holy Spirit's God. Jesus Christ is God. So they embody the same things and produce the same type of fruit. Of course. We've seen in this series that the role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. That's one of his major roles. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul tells us that nobody can confess Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit. Nobody can rightly say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit creates that confession in them. Similarly, nobody can demonstrate that Jesus is Lord and live in obedience to him without the Holy Spirit. We just can't do it. We can't will ourselves to change our desires. We can't will ourselves to change our intentions or our motivations. You want to see what the fruit of the Spirit looks like lived out? Look at Jesus. We we are formed, Paul says, more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. So look at his heart of goodness and compassion. Look at Christ's selfless love. Though he was going to the cross, look at his unwavering joy, his unflinching peace, his long-suffering patience. Man, we just got out of this series in Mark where we saw Christ's long-suffering patience with those pesky disciples, didn't we? They could not understand what Jesus was saying time and time again. I'm going to go die on the cross. Okay, Jesus, but can we sit on your left and right hand in the kingdom? That's long-suffering patience with people who are ignorant and rebellious. Look at his radical kindness, his absolute goodness, his indefatigable faithfulness, his unflinching gentleness, his supernatural self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is summed up as looking more and more like Jesus in our heart, intent, motives, and actions. So that's the first what. What is the nature? What is the fruit of the Spirit as we talk about it? We ask again, what's the fruit of the Spirit? This time we're going to look at the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. These are nine qualities that Paul has listed here, uh, and they're, they're kind of cool. I've, uh, some people have said the first three are kind of God-focused. The uh, middle three are kind of man-focused uh, within the relationships of, of uh, humankind, and the last three are kind of self-focused, and uh, there, there might be something to that. Maybe not. Take that for what it is, but these are nine manifestations of uh, the spiritual fruit that uh, the Holy Spirit will bear in us as we continue to abide in the Lord. My goal, I'll tell you the goal, is to do kind of a rapid fire through this list. That's the goal. Uh, Rapid fire doesn't tend to be my uh, way of operating. So we'll see how it goes, okay? Maybe you'll exercise that patience this morning with me, especially with the Vikings game coming up at noon, huh? We better get going. What the fruit of the Spirit is, the manifestation of the fruit. The first, uh, first one on the list is love. Really interesting. Um, I mean, we, we've seen it in the Old Testament. We've seen it in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus sums up the law by saying, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love sums up all of what it means to walk with the Lord and to bear his image. Interestingly, the last of the fruit of the Spirit that's listed is self-control. For the Greeks, in their ethical writing, self-control summed up all of what was virtuous and all of what was good. Potentially, what Paul is doing here is, is showing that love for the Lord and, and the fruit of the Spirit that, that bears that covers everything. Even, even, even a blind squirrel can find a nut every once in a while. So whatever good things and virtuous things that the Greek ethics had uncovered, the fruit of the Spirit can bear those things as well, self-control. I think that's kind of what Paul's doing with this list, but enough about that. We are doing rapid fire, supposedly. So, love. We see love in Jesus. We see all these in Christ. So we're going to look at how we see it in Christ and how we may grow in it. Galatians 2.20, earlier in this book, tells us that Jesus gave himself up for us. True, self-sacrificial, unconditional love. That's not something that we can imitate. It's something for God to work into us. 1 John says we love because he loved us first. We can't love the way that God loves us unless we first receive that love from God. Some of us this morning are not receiving that love because we're coming to the Lord with our checklist and saying, I've got to perform before I can receive that love. I've got to earn that love. I'm coming with my moral code and I'm failing. I'm going to hide that I'm failing and put on my nice little face, but I'm failing and so I can't receive love from the Lord because I'm not living up to the right standard. Some of us just don't care. Some of us are giving in to our sinful passions and desires and, and are simply saying, this is better than the Lord. Wherever it is that we find ourselves this morning, what we need to do first and foremost, if we want to bear the fruit of the Spirit, is to receive love from the Lord. Not let any barriers stay in our way from receiving the unconditional, self-giving love that Jesus Christ has for us. That's our first step if we want to bear spiritual fruit. We love because he first loved us. Charles Spurgeon says of the love of God that true love, real love for God and others comes out of a man because it is in him, wrought within by the operation of the Holy Spirit whose fruit it is. It's placed there. We can't muster it up. We can't conjure it up. We have to receive it from God. And that's true of all of these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians 5. Next one we see is joy. According to Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him. There is joy even in our hardship, in our trials. In persecution, there is joy. Not a conditional joy that's based on our circumstances, but an indestructible joy that trusts in the God of life. That's not a quality that we can just imitate. You ever faced a hardship? You can't just will yourself to be joyful. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Uh, if you've ever seen a counselor who has told you, 
You're not happy? Well, just be happy. Maybe find a different counselor. Joy, this type of joy that comes from walking with Jesus day by day, seeing how he is at work in your life, seeing how he is transforming you and those around you, and knowing the true hope, not the I hope that this will happen, but the certainty that I've got eternal life with the God of the universe. That produces joy in us. Horatio Spafford, who wrote that hymn that we sang, It Is Well With My Soul, when he wrote, when, when sorrow like sea billows roll, he's picturing and maybe even looking at sea billows rolling as he's on his way from America to England because maybe a month or so prior to that, his wife and daughters were on a ship from America to England that was overtaken by sea billows and they perished. Then on the ride from America to England, he's looking at that same sea saying, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. How does he say that? Abiding in Christ Jesus that produces joy despite our circumstances. Peace. Christ demonstrates the peace of his relationship with God the Father despite he, he, he's, he is bleeding or he is sweating blood saying, Father, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? Yet there is peace with the Father by saying, not my will but yours be done. He demonstrates that he is at peace with God the Father. He demonstrates peace with those around him. And he himself is the one who made peace. Christ is our peace, Paul writes. And a little side note to remind us once again not to view the fruit of the Spirit as a checklist, that he made our peace by tearing down the, the, the curtain of hostility, the, the law, the very thing that kept us from God. And so Paul's point in Galatians is don't return back to a wall of hostility that's going to keep you not at peace with God. Walk with the Lord. Walk by the Spirit. And let him bear the fruit of peace in you. Patience. Once again, this rapid fire is not working out as I wanted it to, so please bear the fruit of patience with me right now. Psalm 103.8 says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. What I love when we read in the Old Testament, we see we see, uh, we see results, uh, consequences of sin or consequences of blessing the Lord. What's awesome is consequences of, of sin will be uh, potentially punished up to the third generation. Consequences of fidelity to the Lord will be blessed for thousands of generations. The Lord is quick to be merciful and slow to anger. Thank God that he is slow to anger. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have known something up here. I've known I needed to change something about the way that I'm living. And it has taken far too long for that to actually happen. Thank God that he is slow to anger. 
to patience. Again, when the disciples repeatedly didn't get the message, Christ bore with them in patience. God wants to work that same patience into us to bear with others as they reject us for the gospel, to bear with believers as they sin and fail against us, to be long-tempered. I've especially found that this is a quality where if I try to will that and make this a reality in my life, I fail big time. I've, I've joked before, but it's, it's funny because it's uh, incredibly true. I thought I was a patient person until I had kids. <laughs> and it's not the kids that are the issue. They don't know any better. It's my issue. So what do I do? I gird myself. Okay, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more patient. And then maybe I, I ate like 200 calories fewer than I needed, and I get home, and my wife so lovingly points out, you're a little grumpy today. Well, there goes that. I don't know about you. I cannot will myself to patience, especially when I'm uh, getting stretched to the end of what I feel like I can do and how I can function, it must be worked into me by abiding in Christ Jesus. Kindness. Taste and see, the psalmist writes, that the Lord is, we often see good there, but it's the same word for kind. Taste and see that the Lord is kind. This is God's gracious attitude towards sinners, and it's this attitude that motivated Jesus to go to the cross. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind to one another. And then he tells us exactly what being kind means. Be kind to one another, he says, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Another thing that uh, in my flesh, it is very difficult to offer true forgiveness. Often, my idea of forgiveness is if you wallow enough, we're good. If you feel bad, if, if you let me know that you feel bad about it, I'll forgive you. That's not forgiveness. That's not the forgiveness that Christ extends to us. And it's not the forgiveness that the Holy Spirit actually wants to work into us. I don't know if you're like me, though. It, it's going to take a lot of work. Goodness. This is having interest in the welfare of others. The Son of Man came to be, not to be served, but to serve the goodness and the interest of the welfare of others above his own. Christ exemplifies this goodness and the Holy Spirit will work that fruit into our lives as we continue to walk by faith in Christ Jesus. Faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, even, even at our worst when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus is relentlessly faithful to the Father and faithful even to people as rebellious as me. He is faithful. I can't conjure up that faithfulness. It must be worked into me by the Holy Spirit. Gentleness or meekness. In Matthew 11, Jesus says that he is gentle and meek. Sometimes people take that and say it means that um, my my emotions or my, my, my anger is well bridled. You kind of see that in Numbers 12. 
that kind of fills in this meekness. In Numbers 12, Moses faces undeserved criticism. Who's ever faced undeserved criticism? I'll tell you what, I get this all the time uh, because I never do anything wrong. Moses faces undeserved criticism, and, and if you read that story, you'll see uh, he, he doesn't let himself necessarily get walked all over, but he's also far more concerned with the glory of the Lord than he is with his own reputation. That's meekness. That's gentleness. That is taking, hey, I didn't deserve this criticism. I didn't deserve this thing, and that makes me angry. And it's bridling that anger and saying, maybe this anger can turn into zeal for the Lord. Because maybe, yeah, maybe you got this part of your criticism wrong. But what you thought was the tip of the iceberg, this is really the tip of the iceberg. And there is so much more that you could have said about me that would have been right in terms of your criticism. And as I recognize that and realize that in my life, as the Holy Spirit reveals that to me, he creates in me a sense of gentleness and meekness where I care less and less about undeserved criticism. Who cares? What I care about is pointing people back to the glory of the Lord. Christ certainly exemplified that as he went to the cross and died for sinners. It wasn't about his reputation. It wasn't about him. It was about the glory of the Father. It was about the salvation of the lost. Finally, self-control. Once again, according to Aristotle, the man who has self-control very well may have strong passions, yet they are kept under control. The man who lacks self-control lacks the ability to resist temptation. It is a fruit of the Spirit and a gift and a true work of God to be able to resist temptation. Because that brings us into what fosters the fruit of the Spirit as we look at self-control in the last one. What fosters the fruit of the Spirit? It's, it's crucifying the flesh and, and saying no to uh, our old way of thinking and saying yes to the new culture that we've been brought into so that we're not imitation Christians, but we're real Christians that have been transformed. But in order for us to be transformed, we have to die to the things of old and crucify the flesh. Paul says at the end of this list, Galatians 5.24, at, at the end of the fruit of the Spirit, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The only way to to be formed into the image of Christ is to stop being formed by the things of the world. Earlier in Galatians, we're told that we are crucified with Christ in order to be set free from the legal punishment of sin. We're free from the punishment of sin by Christ's death. What Paul is saying here is that same crucifixion also frees us from the power of sin. It's not just the punishment, it's also the power identifying with Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection frees us from the punishment of sin and also the power of sin. When you put your faith in Jesus, the power of sin died in your life. What Paul's essentially saying here is, leave it in the grave. Leave it there. Christ represents all of this fruit being manifest perfectly. So as we abide in him, we will inevitably become more and more like him in these things. John 15, abide in me and I in you. He it is that abides in me will bear much 
fruit. That's the way to walk by the Spirit. That's the way to bear fruit. That's going to lead us to the table this morning, talking about abiding in Jesus. As we prepare for communion, we're going to close with just a few more thoughts. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and help us get ready. But I want us to think about where we are abiding this morning because that's where we end and that's, that's where we find uh, our ability to walk by the Spirit. The only way to bear that fruit is if we are abiding in Christ Jesus, the one that that fruit is pointing to. If we abide in things of the world by not crucifying the flesh, if we abide in the things of the world, then we will inevitably become more and more like the world. The Roman legionaries, they abided in the Roman culture. They became more and more like the type of people that would be legionaries. Christians that abide more and more in Christ Jesus become more and more like the type of people, like the type of person that Christ Jesus was. So if we abide in things of the world more and more, we will inevitably become more and more like those things. I'll give you just a few examples from social media. If you abide on Twitter, you know what that will create in us? Anger and rage. That is the fruit of not, not just checking Twitter, but abiding, living there. If you abide on Instagram, that will bear the fruit of vanity. Likewise, if you abide in Christ Jesus, that will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And how do we do that? We primarily know Jesus and abide in Jesus by faithful obedience to God's word, by approaching God's word and saying, God, work it into me. This isn't just some book to read. This isn't just some nice stories. This isn't a rubric for me to conduct my life by. This is the living word that can transform me. God, work it into me. I've seen it in my life, and I've failed many times in my life, and I've witnessed it in the lives of others around me, that if I am not feasting on God's word, I am not really experiencing the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. I, I care less about the things of God. I'm less aware of spiritually lost people around me. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm more angry and upset at home. But go figure, when I start to feast on the Word of God, I start to experience the Holy Spirit alive in me. And so feast on God's word and you will find that you are walking by the spirit as Paul calls us to here in Galatians. Approach God's word prayerfully, expecting the Holy Spirit to be pointing you to Jesus. Approach God's word humbly, expecting the Holy Spirit to form you into the image of Christ. Approach God's word obediently, expecting to be refined by God. How do I do this? How do I walk by the Spirit and produce the fruit of the Spirit? By clinging to Jesus, by abiding in Him. The Spirit will form me into the image of Christ and produce much fruit. So we are naturally led to communion as we talk about abiding in Christ Jesus. As we identify with His life, death, and resurrection into new life, and we are reminded that when we put our faith in Jesus, 
we could crucify the flesh and leave it in the grave because he was raised to new life. We remember that this morning. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are welcome at his table to remember what he has done for you. And I'm going to give you just a few things to reflect on as we prepare our hearts for communion. The first is this. Reflect on how Christ exemplified the fruit of the Spirit perfectly and praise him for that. Then reflect on any areas of, of sin in general or ways in which you recognize the fruit of the Spirit is not being born in your, in your heart or maybe you've been pushing God's love away because you've got your checklist or pushing God's love away because you want to be doing your own desires. Whatever it is, there is freedom to confess those things and receive forgiveness. Receive that forgiveness and then leave in the ways of the flesh in the grave, and walk in the newness of life by abiding in Christ Jesus.